You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Well, there's not a whole lot of seats left, so why don't we go ahead and get started. And I think it's almost 3.30 as well. I appreciate all you guys coming out for us to have a good conversation today about excellence, what God has to say about excellence. Um, if there's a subtitle for my, for my topic, I'm going to be talking today about how godly excellence shapes our lives and our ministries. Um, I, I thought it would be appropriate just to kind of give you guys a little bit of context of where I'm coming from, and then I got some questions to hear a little bit more about where you guys are coming from as well, just so we can really dive into the nuts and bolts of the conversation today. Yeah, I think we still got a couple of seats available if you want to jump in. Um, so my name is Jonathan Welch. I've been involved in various aspects of worship and arts ministry for probably 15 years or so now. Uh, Twelve of those have been with the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. Um, so I, I joined as a church member 12 years ago. We are one church that meets in many locations throughout the Raleigh-Durham area. Our primary teaching pastor is J.D. Greer. Um, if you've heard of him or have any of his books, we've got eight campuses right now, one of which is a Spanish-speaking campus, just to show you some of the demographics of what we're trying to deal with in terms of planning worship. Uh, we currently average about 7,500 people between all of these locations. Um, that's grown from 12 years ago, there were just three to 500. So it's, it's been a tremendous amount of growth in the past 12 years. Um, our worship gatherings are led by a combination of campus pastors at every site, a campus worship leader at every site, and we do primarily video sermons as well uh, across all of our campuses. Um, for the majority of my 12 years at Summit, uh, I guess you could say I've served in almost every level of a staff position in that sense. I'm a really quintessential example of the kid from the copy room and the farm team development approach to where I started as an intern for a couple of years, played bass in the band, um, and then I started to lead a team of guitarists and musicians, and that led to a campus worship leader opportunity, and, and now I oversee all of our worship staff and try to coordinate everything on that end as well. I've been doing this for about three years or so at that level of just overseeing all of the worship ministry and worship development at the summit. So that's a little bit about where I'm coming from, but how many of you guys are actually the worship leader or one of the worship leaders at your church that you actually lead from the stage, sing from the stage, plan worship on the weekend? Cool. Um, how many of you play or sing and don't really feel the weight of responsibility of like the worship leader, but you're on a worship team? Anybody else in here? Okay. Great. Um, how many of you guys are at a multi-site church? I'm just curious. Of course, multi-site has its own challenges in terms of demographics and planning and everything, so I think that's always very helpful to keep in mind. So why I'm here today, I'm here because I believe in what God can and will do through you and through your ministry. Um, I want to help fan into flame a vision for the glory and the grandeur and the majesty of God and how that transforms and transcends your life and your ministry. Churches all over the world, whether we realize it or not, are in desperate, desperate need of men and women to lead God's people faithfully and gather worship. And sometimes I don't think we take that seriously enough. And so I want to add some weight to that conversation for us today to hopefully inspire all of us towards faithfulness for the glory of God through the local church. So 
focusing this a little more narrowly, at the core of who we are, we've all come to this breakout session with a title like Misunderstanding Excellence because we all have one thing in common. We want to talk about excellence. We want to be good at what we do. We all probably have goals and ambitions. In that sense, we all want to hear, as Matthew 25 says, well done, good and faithful servant. Am I right? And so if that's our collective ambition, then this is the breakout for you. I'm glad you guys are here because that's all we're going to talk about for about 40, 45 minutes. But if you have questions, make sure to jot those down or make a note or something because we'll have plenty of time for some Q&A after that as well. Um, As the people of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, what does it look like practically to build a life and a worship ministry that pleases God? I think that's really the underlying question as we really start to talk about excellence. What does it look like to build a life and a worship ministry that pleases God? How do we quantify? I think that's another level because it's really tough for us to say like, oh, that was excellent. How do we quantify that we are serving God and leading people with excellence? So think about this with me. What does an excellent worship gathering look like? All these are meant to be in some sense, kind of rhetorical questions just to get our minds working. I know it's 3.30. We probably haven't had a coffee. We've been sitting listening to people talk all day. So try to hang in there with me. Let's think through this. What does an excellent song even sound like? What does it mean to be an excellent worship leader? How can we disciple other people with excellence? So the point I want to make is just how challenging it is that we all measure excellence somehow. Whether we realize it or not, those are not foreign questions to us, am I right? And so we're all making some kind of value judgment already to answer those questions. And so the purpose of this breakout is not to try to get you to measure excellence, because you already are. The purpose of the breakout is to get us to think through how we measure excellence and how we apply that new definition that I want us to talk through today to our ministries and to our lives. So just to make sure that we're all kind of starting on the same page here, excellence is one of these really weird words that that can have so many different types of concepts and definitions. And so I want to throw out for us at the top that I think excellence in a sense is fulfilling a purpose or value to the highest possible degree. Excellence is fulfilling a purpose or a value to the highest possible degree. And this concept is visible all the way back to like Greek culture if, if, you, if you do a word study on excellence. And so we're not going to get bogged down in this. We're not even going to spend a lot of time doing exegesis today. We're going to spend a little bit of time doing like some definition stuff up front and then hopefully a lot of time doing some hearty theological application, and that'll be the roadmap for everything. But I think that what is perhaps even more important than just defining excellence is pushing forward to see how we measure excellence. And so that'll be really like the two facets of our time, defining excellence and measuring excellence. Because measuring excellence is just as much of a problem for us to address. And this is something that's going to apply to us in all kinds of layers today. It's going to apply to us as worship leaders. For those of you that stand on stage and lead God's people, it's going to apply to us as worshipers. It's going to apply to us as disciple makers. And so 
I'm going to try to give a bunch of different types of examples to hopefully hit all these demographics, but if you have a question about your specific context, please ask those things. I want to, I want to talk to those things. So here's how we're going to keep things straight today. I'm going to talk about two types of excellence. Godly excellence and worldly excellence. So it's really important for us to understand this up front because this is going to be how we, how we dialogue about this. And I would define, for the purposes of our breakout session today, I would define, first of all, I would define worldly excellence as greatness measured by extraordinary accomplishments. Greatness measured by extraordinary accomplishments. And I'm going to define godly excellence as greatness measured by extraordinary stewardship. Extraordinary stewardship. So, I want to throw those out now so you can start to think about them. But we're going to keep hitting those again and again because I think it's important for us to see this distinction up front. All of us would agree that there's a difference between what God values and what a fallen world values. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that there's a sharp distinction between the things of God and the things of this world. So that's why I'm using those terms today, is to try to draw out these two categories of excellence. And, and I believe the problem and why we need to talk about this stuff is because I believe far too often, even in the church and even as Christians, we've allowed a worldly definition and a worldly way of measuring excellence to creep into the church and to creep into our worship gatherings. That's the dangerous part, is that we've imbibed this whole thing without even realizing what's been going on. And so I think even as gospel-professing, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians, we need to check ourselves when it comes to excellence, and we need to look at our practices and let that show what is our definition of excellence. What is our way of measuring excellence in the local church? And let that shape our ministries and even guide our lives. So that's even what I meant by the title. I'm sure some of you were like, what's going on with like all the parentheses and the misunderstanding excellence or understanding? Because it's confusing. Like to talk about excellence in our culture is confusing right now. And so basically what I want to highlight with that title is that so many of us believe that we have an understanding of excellence but I really think we have a misunderstanding of excellence. And so that's why we need conversations like this. And then you'll go back and take this same conversation to the people that you lead, the people that you live with, the people that you're pouring into, the people that you lead in worship on the weekend, and it will shape their understanding of the God of excellence as well. So again, just my final kind of broad brushstrokes outline for us. There's really two goals. Two goals for this time together. First, I want to help you distinguish very accurately and acutely between godly excellence and worldly excellence and make sure that hopefully by the end of our time together it's going to sound so almost overwhelmingly routine again and again okay i get it i get it jonathan i get it hopefully that's the point that we're going to be at at the end of 45 minutes the second goal is to help you apply godly excellence to your life and ministry so not just to have this new understanding but to make sure that it not only hits our minds and our hearts, but our actions, and that it permeates everything we do as well. Okay? So, two understandings of excellence. Let's talk about worldly excellence first. 
in this. I've already defined this for us as greatness measured by extraordinary accomplishments. And the word to circle in that definition is accomplishments. To illustrate this, I want to talk about basketball for a minute. I come from basketball country. Duke and UNC are everywhere. It's a big rivalry. It's a big deal. So I logically think of basketball with a lot of analogies. Um, how many of you are 23 and under? I'm just, I'm just really curious. I want some participation here. That's actually far fewer than I thought in this. I want to bring up an illustration from 1991. When I was growing up, there were these things called commercials, and they came on this thing called a TV because we didn't have anything on demand at all. You could just watch anything you wanted to whenever. There wasn't an internet. There wasn't even dial-up, and you had to sit through the commercials to watch whatever was on TV. And in 1991, Gatorade released a commercial that became really the mantra for a generation of sports fans. I'm sure that some of you guys remember this. The campaign was called Be Like Mike. And I had this really catchy song that gets stuck in your head, and some of you are probably humming it right now. And we probably remember the song even more than the product you were supposed to buy, which was Gatorade, right? Um, all that's because in 1991, Michael Jordan was the biggest thing in sports. He had, he had just won his first NBA championship. He was probably the biggest thing going in American culture, except for like the original 8-bit Nintendo or something like that, which also came out during that time. He had just won his second regular season MVP award, his first NBA championship, and he was even named the MVP of the finals that year, averaging over 30 points a game and shooting over 50% from the floor. Unbelievable. And the point is, the point of what Gatorade wanted to capitalize on was that every kid on every playground at every basketball goal wanted to be Michael Jordan. And Gatorade knew it, and so they set up this whole campaign to try to capitalize off of that. And almost overnight, Michael Jordan became in a sense, a measure of excellence for everybody. The moment you thought of basketball excellence, you thought about Michael Jordan. It was greatness defined by extraordinary accomplishment. Here's the guy who's accomplished the most, so he's the standard of excellence. But this highly successful advertising campaign presents two false realities for the Christian. The first false claim, drink Gatorade equals ball like Jordan. I'm sure that most of us can see through that one, right? Like, did any rational human being really believe that drinking Gatorade would give you Jordan-esque abilities on the court? No, of course not. But this first false claim is not nearly as dangerous as the second false claim. The second false claim in this commercial is that fulfillment comes from becoming the next Michael Jordan. Think about this. Can we really be like Mike? The reality is, is that none of us can be like Mike. No one can, no one has, and no one will be like Mike. Thus, if what you're reaching for is to be like Michael Jordan, then sooner or later you're going to experience disappointment or discouragement or failure or disillusionment. Insert negative emotion here, right? And that's a problem. And the problem lies not in Michael Jordan, or not even in Gatorade, but in our definition of excellence. That's the important thing for us to see here. How you define excellence is how you're going to measure it. So how you define excellence, this is why we're spending so much time on definitions up front, how you define it is how you're going to measure it and how you're going to apply it in your life and your ministry. So the world, going back to the Michael Jordan story, 
defined excellence as greatness by extraordinary accomplishment. Thus, without the accomplishments, you're not excellent. You're average, or maybe even a failure, because excellence is only available to the elite. Or think about it in like you know, different terms. Who's the more excellent basketball player, Kobe or LeBron nowadays? I mean, everybody wants to talk about that. Or let's start to bring it a little closer to home at a worship conference. Who's got the more excellent worship experience? Sovereign Grace or Sojourn? Or Chris Tomlin or Matt Redman or Israel or Ty Tribbett? Like, fill in the blank with your examples there. These are things that we think through. Things that we talk through. Who's got the more excellent worship gathering, you or the other other gospel-centered church in your town? Who's the most excellent worship leader of your church? These are some of the very questions that we ask. Maybe not out loud, right? Because then people would judge us, but we at least are thinking them internally. But here's my point. When we're asking the comparative question, listen, this is really critical. When we're asking this comparative question, we're using the wrong system for measurement. We shouldn't even be asking the question is what I'm trying to draw out in this. Usually when we ask these questions, we're focusing on accomplishments. So what kind of questions should we ask? How should we define excellence? Godly excellence, greatness measured by extraordinary stewardship. It asks a whole different set of questions for us. And we see this rooted in 2 Peter 1. If there's a passage of Scripture that we're going to camp out in, it would be 2 Peter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. That's all the way through the first part of verse 5. So a couple of observations here for us. First, we see in verse 3 that God embodies excellence. God calls us to his own glory and excellence, as the ESV says. And we even see, 1 Peter 2.9 helps to complement this, that it's God's excellence that deserves our praise. 1 Peter 2.9, that we may proclaim the, what, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God himself is excellent. That is a really important foundational concept for us to understand excellence, that it comes from God's very character. And then God calls us to excellence. We are, we are image bearers, and so God is calling us to excellence in his image. But I think that we can also rest in the fact that through that very call that God calls us to excellence, that means that we know our pursuit of excellence is pleasing to God. And that's something God wants from us, and He wants us to pursue Him with excellence. It can be really easy to talk about excellence and to feel like it's this kind of taboo thing that we shouldn't talk about or it's selfish or sinful, and that's not the case at all. Excellence comes from God, and God wants us to pursue Him with excellence. So. What then does it mean to pursue excellence? That's a really important concept for us. In light of 2 Peter 1, I would define the pursuit of excellence as our prayerful, grace-driven, spirit-enabled work 
to faithfully reflect a holy God in every circumstance. The pursuit of excellence can be defined as our prayerful, grace-driven, spirit-enabled work to faithfully reflect a holy God in every circumstance. And now I'm all about you guys taking notes as well, but feel free to send me an email after this is over or Twitter or something like that or hit me up and let me know. I'll be glad to send you the whole transcript of my talk, so don't feel like you've got to keep up with all of this. If it's better for you just to pay attention and actually converse with this as well, I think that'd be great. Um, so in light of that, what does it mean to pursue excellence? I want to make sure we get this definition. The pursuit of excellence is our prayerful, grace-driven, spirit-enabled work to faithfully reflect a holy God in every circumstance. Aspects of this, just to emphasize real quick. This type of definition is holistic. It applies to the life and labor of the worship leader. It applies to our lives, our disciple-making, certainly our worship gatherings. It's also God-centered. God is excellent, and He is how we measure excellence. His grace is the fuel for our pursuit of excellence, and we can be excellent only by the work of God the Holy Spirit. And then the third aspect of this I want us to see is that there's progress involved. It's something that we're working at. There is effort, but it's Ephesians 2.10 effort that we were created for good works that we can walk in them. In Christ Jesus, for good works. So then hopefully we're improving and growing in our pursuit of excellence. Harold Best defines excellence this way in a book called Music Through the Eyes of Faith. Um, this is certainly one of his more serious moments, as we've all enjoyed Harold Best at this conference. Excellence is the process of becoming better than I once was. I am not to become better than someone else is, or even like someone else. I love that. Excellence is the process of becoming better than I once was. That's stewardship. That's exactly why I think godly excellence is best encapsulated in Greatness measured by extraordinary stewardship. So in another book on excellence that's been really helpful by Andreas Kostenberger called Excellence, he says we can each achieve excellence as we are increasingly fulfilling the potential God has built into us. We can each achieve excellence as we are increasingly fulfilling the potential that God has built into us. So I alluded to it earlier, but I believe we see this best exemplified in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. In this story, the master of the house recognizes that his, his people are different, right? He gives, he gives ten talents to one, five to another, one to another. So he's not treating them all the same. There's three different types of people there in that story. And he holds them individually accountable as well, right? He's not, he's not asking for the same return on each one of those investments, he goes to each one individually and says, what have you done? And what have you done? That helps us understand what a godly concept of excellence looks like. And then he appreciates those that use their gifts courageously and audaciously. And even taking risk with those gifts, as opposed to the one who just plays it safe and does nothing with what God's given him. So I'm really trying to drive home the point of stewardship here that the master applauds those who, in the words of Harold Best, become better than they once were. 
I think that's what Matthew 25 is showing us here. Notice that he doesn't say, okay, out of all three of you guys, you have done the most with your talents, so you're the only one who gets a reward. It's all individual accountability. And what's the reward? Enter into the joy of your master. That's what drives us in godly excellence. Oh, that we would let that be the driving focus of our hearts as followers of Christ, as worship leaders, as church leaders. But I want to get really practical. I know in breakouts we need to get practical. We need to flex those practical application muscles. So how do we do that? I think there's a general application first for this when it comes to stewarding our gifts. And then we'll get into some things that really apply more specifically to worship. So something that's been really helpful for me to think through, step one, have you even asked God what he's given you? Sometimes we glaze over that. But I think a really important application is just to stop and ask God, even right now, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and say, God, in light of who you are and who you've made me to be, how can I make the most of what you've given me? Step two might be to consider thinking and praying through three areas. Three areas, first, passions, second, abilities, and third, needs. Passions, abilities, needs. And why those are important, because God has given us passions, things that we love to do, but God has also given us things that we're good at or certain abilities that we have. Those are separate because they don't always match up. Third, needs. It's also important to know in your community, in your context, in your church, where are the areas of need that your passions and abilities can help you match up for that best fit? Where all three of those come together is a phenomenal fit for stewardship. And maybe a third step in this process might be asking other people in your church as well. Sometimes we make the Christian life far too individualistic. God has given us the body of Christ to speak into our lives and the power of His Holy Spirit to affirm us. I look back, even over 12 years of ministry at the Summit Church, and I think of how many times the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to me through other brothers and sisters for specific affirmations, to speak into decisions. It's been amazing and so God-glorifying. So, how can we apply this to our craft and our type of ministry? Um, Most likely, every one of us in this room is going to fit into one of two categories here. Maybe some of you are in a church where, say like it or not, worldly excellence has crept in. Maybe that's the reality of where you serve. My prayer for you in that category is that this talk would boost you towards faithfulness, stewardship, and godly excellence. But then there's maybe some of you where you grasp this concept of godly excellence, but you don't feel excellent. And so hopefully, after going through this list of more applications for how we can apply this, my prayer is that the Spirit of God will change our outlook on life, on ministry, that He will allow us to see the world through His eyes, through the way that He created it to be, and that we'll all be able to realize how we can take some practical steps in stewarding our gifts and our opportunities for God's glory. So this Second section here is five ways to apply godly excellence in worship. Five ways. The first of these five ways is to choose stewardship over perfection. Choose stewardship over perfection. 
think through this with me. If our excellence is measured by accomplishment, then perfection is kind of our aspiration. If our excellence is measured by our accomplishments, then the greater the accomplishment, that's the goal. So in conversations with other worship leaders sometimes, I feel like I hear a lot of people talk about excellence in relation to what they're producing. Whether that's the weekend gathering or a product or they're in the studio or something like that. I know we know this intellectually, but we have to see this practically that gathered worship is not the voice. It's not American Idol. It's not some big show or production. It's not even our own personal arena rock show or something like that. I know we know that because this is a gospel center worship conference. I know we know that here, but we have to see this practically. I think it's really tough to see that as well in a world where everything we put out there is going to have a rating associated to it. You put out a record on iTunes and people can give it five stars or one star. And so this is a really challenging concept for us to get. But the concept of a perfect performance is a myth. We have to set ourselves free from that. The concept of a perfect performance is a myth. In a fallen and finite world, everything has limits. What matters is how we operate within those limits. G.K. Chesterton once said, art consists of drawing the line somewhere. Art consists of drawing the line somewhere. At some point, we've got to take our hands off and say, I'm done. I'm finished. As I was prepping for this talk, I wanted to keep working on it, working on it. I love chewing on this stuff. But at some point, I had to say, I'm done. God, I've done the best with what you've given me. And as we talk about this tension a lot at my church, one of the kind of ways that we describe this principle is that we call it resourceful excellence. Resourceful excellence is something we talk about a lot. And that's simply making the most of what we have. Knowing that all of our resources, our, um, our time, our abilities, our money, everything has limits. We all have to draw the line somewhere. True biblical godly excellence is in that sense resourceful excellence. Some examples of this. Budgets. I'm sure all of us at our churches we have budgets and we try to stick to them. Sure, and we might have lights or a camera or a projector screen or something like that nowadays. But at the same time, every one of us can talk about the things that are less than ideal. We all feel this concept of limits. At my church, many of our campuses are out of space or they meet in a school. I'm sure some of you guys might meet in a school as well. There are things that are tangible measures of how we're being resourceful. And we just have to set ourselves free of this concept of stretching for the ideal or the perfect performance myth and make the most of what we have. I think another way we see this is in the people that we lead. Sure, I think all of us would want the A-level team, the A-level band that can slay all of the parts for the glory of God, right? All of us want that. But the principle of resourceful excellence is joyfully leading and serving the C-level musicians and developing them, taking the people that God has provided you with and stewarding those people, the flock that God has brought you, these are the people of God. The world has convinced us that excellence is measured only by the A-plus performance, and that's not true in God's economy. So even with everything on our plate, 
sometimes the C is truly excellent. Sometimes we've got to realize that, that sometimes the C in the world's eyes might be a really good example of true excellence because it's doing the best with what we have. I think there's some of you in here that needed to hear that today because I think all of us feel the pressure to be the A plus all the time. And that's not godly. So again, getting very practical, I want to challenge you guys. Focus on people over performance. Focus on people over performance. Lead songs, don't just play songs. At the end of the day on Sunday, is it about your great and perfect performance? Your great performance? Or is it about leading God's people and declaring His praise? God doesn't need our performance. He doesn't need our effort. It's a privilege that He uses us to put His power on display. So I think that brings up another question. How do we develop and evaluate our worship gatherings? How do we evaluate our worship gatherings then? What kind of questions are you asking after you walk away from the worship gathering on Sunday? What types of questions are your people asking? Do people walk away talking more about you or about the people that are on stage? Or do they walk away talking more about things like, was Christ exalted today? Was the glory of God magnified? What did God do in our midst today? What has God done throughout human history? Like Those are the things that need to drive our times of gathered worship together. Second thing in this list of our five ways to apply godly excellence. Emphasize who you are more than what you do. Emphasize who you are more than what you do. This distinction focuses on our identity. Our understanding of excellence says something about our identity. After all, the gospel tells us God cares far more about who we are than what we do. We think about godly excellence and virtue, and when we think about this, we're really talking about the habits and practices that shape who we are. Because who we are is going to directly impact what we do for God. So I think just a brief tangent on this, going back to 2 Peter 1, godly virtues help us measure godly excellence. Godly virtues help us measure godly excellence. And this passage that I would say goes all the way from kind of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, all the way through chapter 11, and you can just make a note of that and we can you know, talk about that later. But verse 5 in particular says, For this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then Peter goes on to mention like this long list of virtues. He talks about knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. So what he's doing here, he's not saying that these are the only qualities that matter. What I think he's saying is that he's trying to press us on if we're stewarding our gifts and abilities well, these virtues are signposts. These are marks of that. Our lives will look like this if we're being good stewards and approaching God with godly excellence. I think that's what he's trying to do in that passage. So just make a note of that application. Godly virtues help us measure godly excellence. Our measure of excellence corresponds with our understanding of the gospel. Worldly excellence says it's only about what you've done. 
That's all that the world wants to focus on. No one cares about what kind of person you are. They just care about what you've accomplished and your achievements. One way that we encounter this, I found this really surprising as I was sitting and reflecting on all of this. Have you ever thought about when we're jealous of someone or something or we covet something? At least for me, I rarely covet who they are. I usually covet what they do or what they have, but I rarely covet who they are. And so that should be a litmus test for us, that if we're thinking about what somebody has done and their accomplishments, that's probably a sign that we have a worldly understanding of excellence. So again, getting very practical, is your ministry focused on who people are becoming in Christ or just what they do for God? Think about the image of that for a minute. What do you talk about with your musicians? Is it just pedal boards and shop talk and riffs and licks and things that they do? Or are you talking about the Word of God and praying together and who they're becoming in Christ? Are, you, are your musicians being discipled by someone? Are they even church members? Contrast these two images. If you focus more on what people do, our teams often look like a front man with a backing band because it's all about what we do from the stage. It's all about just playing the songs and getting off the stage and going about our regular lives. But contrast that, if we focus on who people are, then we're invested. It's a team. It's a community. We're all in this together. Yeah, okay, I need you to play this on this instrument this week but I want to talk to you about what's going on in your family and your job. And there's so much more of a sense of camaraderie there. I think we see this in another way, like how we handle difficult conversations, like the infamous band audition. Let's just kind of role play with this for a minute. If it's the what they do mentality, again, the worldly standard of excellence, it's kind of like the voice. You know, somebody shows up and, okay, contestant, Number 812, next. You know, don't ask any questions at all about their background or who they are. It's only about whether they can make the cut, whether they have what it takes. And the implication is, we're sending you out. You failed. Go deal with your failure alone. And that's not the kingdom of God. So let's flip that with a focus on who they are And a different way of approaching auditions would be to maybe sit down and have a conversation before you ever hear them sing a note or play a note. And to say something like, hey, something we're going to try to do in this audition today is basically just come alongside you in the body of Christ and to affirm some of the gifts that you may have and how you can be a best fit. Um, In the body, we believe that everybody has gifts to serve the local church. And so this time is really just a time for us to talk together as the body of Christ about your passions. And I'm going to listen to some of your musical abilities and try to help you figure out if this is a good fit for you in our church. But if it's not, there's so many other ways that you can still serve the church. So serving is going to be a win-win regardless of what happens in the next 15 minutes. And that's a very different conversation because the goal is stewarding our gifts well, not did I make the cut to be on the cool worship team. Those are two very different conversations. But I think we also have to be aware of this in our own devotional time with God. 
Are you working from a place of rest? Or are you resting from a lifestyle of work? You see the difference in that? Are you working out of a heart that rests in the gospel? Or are you busy, busy, busy all about everything you're doing and then resting at the end of the day? So a third way to apply godly excellence. Always start with vertical comparisons, not horizontal comparisons. Always start with vertical comparisons, not the horizontal ones. I think that we could be tempted to think in this conversation of excellence that comparison is the problem. Comparison is not the problem. Comparison can actually be a helpful tool. But the problem is in what or who we're comparing ourselves to. Because in a standard of worldly excellence, we're comparing ourselves to other people. It's the I want to be like my thing all over again. We can see this in countless examples. I would say as musicians, it can be very easy to listen to somebody else's music and say, well, so-and-so did that, and they got a million views on YouTube, so we're going to play a guitar lick like that here, or use this synth pattern here because it worked and people like it. Or it could be easy to talk about this when it comes to body image because the world wants to say that cool people look like this or attractive people dress like that. Some of those things go through our heads when we think about standing in front of people. So we've got to free ourselves from this concept of comparing horizontally to other people. It even shows up in how we think about possessions or money. Well, you know, the Joneses just moved into this kind of house, or so-and-so bought this kind of car, or something like that. Or these There's countless examples of things. But all those things have one thing in common. Horizontal comparisons are always unhealthy for us. Every one of these is a lie that you can only be you because God made you to be you. Not to be someone else, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much science could ever enhance our performance or our appearance. We can never be somebody else. God has given you just what you need to serve Him faithfully. And in a church world, we can be just as guilty of this. I mean, can we even be an excellent worship leader without having a record nowadays? It's so easy to make, to make music and to put it out there for the world to hear that in some sense we could be guilty of believing the lie that only the real worship leaders have music out there publicly. That's a lie. We all have different gifts and abilities. Or even thinking about it through the lens of social media. I mean, all of us want to compare ourselves horizontally and look at our followers on social media. All of us are guilty of posting something and going back five minutes later and refreshing or ten minutes later and refreshing and looking at how many people commented on it or liked it. Have you ever experienced any degree of joy or disappointment from your number of followers or from your number of likes? Let that be another litmus test for us of what our standard of excellence is. That's the Spirit of God pinpointing areas of our hearts that need attention and need His care. But in contrast, godly excellence focuses on the vertical comparison. It's very, very different here. God, this is who I know you to be, and this is your character through your word, and so I pray that you make me more like you. 
It's a very different conversation than the horizontal comparison. I think we see this most clearly in our attitude. Horizontal comparison leads to competition, doesn't it? We look at other people and we want to compete. Vertical comparison leads to humility. Every time we look at God, we're always reminded that He's God and we're not. Always. 1 Peter 5 comes to mind. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. A fourth way that we can apply godly excellence, it's so important for us to remember, it's thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Any discussion of excellence forces us to ask the question, whose kingdom am I serving? Is it God's or is it my own? I mean, come on, let's get real. Is our primary ambition to be famous or to be faithful? Those are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but those are really good indicators of where our hearts are. Because if it's God's kingdom, then my role is to be a faithful steward, servant, and worshiper of the true king. But if it's my kingdom, then sometimes I walk around like my role is to be worshipped and served as king. Very, very different. So ask yourself, what drives our ministry? What drives my life? Is our success tied to our accomplishments? How much do we emphasize the name of our church or other people or name drop or things like that? How much do we emphasize our products or the things that we do? How much has that become our identity? Contrast this, okay, with what I'll call undistracting excellence. If that sounds familiar, it's because you've heard it from John Piper. He talks about that a lot in a, a couple of blogs, a couple of books, and he connects this to 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, Hebrews 1.3. So the greatest measure of our stewardship is how much we as worship leaders point other people to God's glory in Jesus Christ. After all, Jesus modeled all of this for us in his life on earth, right? He was fully God, fully God in a fallen and frail world. He could have taken everything by force and made it all about him, but instead he said things like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he resisted Satan's temptation to abuse his divine power. He modeled godly excellence for us in prayer and said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, even to picture a passage like Philippians 2, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Every time that we're tempted 
to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we must remember Christ. I believe that what we need as worship leaders and pastors is an emphasis on don't distract far more than we need an emphasis on attract. It can be really cool to talk about, hey, are we attracting people with this and how are we bringing people in and how are we reaching a culture and how are we going to reach our community? All those are valid questions. I want to talk about contextualization all day long. But so often we need to come back to don't distract. Don't distract from the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ. That's so important for us. Undistracting excellence. Godly excellence is undistracting excellence. Run that through the application list. That applies in what we choose to wear. Are we distracting people in what we choose to wear? In what parts we choose to play as musicians? Are we going to distract them from the content of what we're singing? And how we plan our worship gatherings? And our fifth way to apply godly excellence here. Godly excellence is inclusive, not exclusive. Godly excellence is inclusive, not exclusive. In other words, excellence is for everyone, not just the elite. It's a really important distinction for us to see because the world wants to tell us that only certain people can be excellent and everybody else is average or a failure. And that's not what the Word of God shows us. Everyone can be and is called to excellence for the glory of God, not just the elite. So I think a practical way that we can talk about this, as a group of worship leaders and musicians, we've got to get out of the green room. We've got to get out of being backstage or in our own little cliques and huddles and, and just hanging out. And we're all a part of the body of Christ. We're all a part of the body of Christ. And the worship ministry, so often the whole ministry or even like the worship leader can feel like a silo or an island. And we're not. So we have to realize just how interconnected we are in the body. When we gather together, we're one body with many parts. And so we must continually emphasize the one body because our hearts want to gravitate towards the many parts. I think we also have to see in this that worship is a discipleship ministry. Worship is a discipleship ministry. Just as much as sitting down with somebody over coffee is discipleship, so is proclaiming the glory of God from the stage. It's a proclamation discipleship. It's like almost the difference between air war and ground war. You need both. And that's what a worship ministry is meant to be. So knowing that, that changes how we approach leading from the stage, but also everything we do off the stage. It changes... Like even a suggestion would be, go meet people before and after your gatherings. Do you do that? I know that might seem like, I never thought about that before. Or it might seem like we do that all the time, but ask God to give us a new passion for those things. Be intentional to disciple people in the gathering. Because our conversations, sometimes before and after the gathering, can be just as formative as the songs that we sing. And I think as worship leaders, we need to remember that. I think an illustration that ties a lot of these things together comes from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Obviously, he's most famous for his I Have a Dream speech. But there's another speech I want to talk about today that is a different kind of speech. He didn't really give this one 
on a national mall or in Washington, D.C. or anything like that. He was speaking to a group of middle school students in Philadelphia in 1967, and the subject of his talk was just this. It was excellence. The, the title of his talk, if there was a title, is called, What's Your Life's Blueprint? And he shows us how he believed in this biblical definition of godly excellence. Here's what he said. And when you discover what you will be in your life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Don't just set out to do a good job. Set out to do such a good job that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well, for it isn't by size that you win or fail. Be the best at whatever you are. And I would add to that for the glory of God. Be the best at whatever you are for the glory of God. That is godly excellence. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll get into some Q&A. But God, we thank you so much for this time together. God, I thank you for those that are here in this room today. God, I want to pray for every individual here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts and minds, search us and know us, and lead us in your everlasting way today. God, we know that you are living and active, that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. So, God, I pray that you would examine us. God, that you would provoke us to sit and to reflect on these things. God, that you would call us to repentance for their sin in our lives again. God, that we might magnify your glory all the more in the grace that you've bestowed on us in the gospel. God, I pray for the churches that are represented here in this room. God, I pray that we would see a generation of churches that are marked by stewardship, by faithfulness, by obedience, by standards and measures of godly excellence. God, for the sake of your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen.